excited to have some great minds on the call today and uh, wonderful folks to talk to you about we, what we feel is a uh, key to success these days. And we're gonna be um, working with several of our advisors who you see on the screen and um, a couple of really great folks from both the Markey Inhalation. So before I, we introduce ourselves, I'm gonna go ahead and tell you I'm Julie Burroughs, I'm one of the advisors and I'm gonna moderate for you today. Um, Alexis, the light bulb down there, um, <laughs> she's in the background too, helping people get on, et cetera. Um, just to let you know, we will be recording the session today. <laughs> we will be, um, we'll also be taking questions over in chat and there's a reason for it. Um, the reason for it is the fact that um, we are gonna have people moderating. I'm sorry, I got people asking me stuff over here. Um, we're gonna have people moderating that chat so we can answer the questions as we go, all right? So um, we're gonna start with um, Mike Lampa. Introduce yourself, please. Hey, everybody, Mike Lampa. I'm one of the uh, uh, advisors with Great Data Minds. I've been uh, Julie's partner in crime for eons. And I'd, I'd like to offer up that having Julie as a moderator will be one of the most unmoderated moderations of all experience. <laughs> I'm so excited to be with y'all today. Um, Anna, you want to go next? Anna Navarro. Okay. Yeah. Hi, I'm Anna Navarro. Um, I'm an advisor with Joy, great data minds. Um, kind of been, I've been Joy for like 20 plus years, I'd say. Um, primarily being using her services. So this time I'm on the other side. And I'm looking forward to it. Cool. Yep. And it comes with a great background around governance, MDM programs, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Mr. Willamy and your she-she-ed. <laughs> Hi, Joe Willamy, um, Director of Data Engineering for um, American Association Insurance Services. Mouthful, so we just say AAIS, which is not really easier. Um, Do <laughs> <laughs> you have a stutter? <laughs> I mean, I, I used to actually, but um, so uh, I, I think I probably know Julie, maybe the least, because we only met like eight years ago. Is that right? <laughs> but um, have, have you know gone through a lot of different um, stages of maturity with uh, data governance, data management, data engineering um, along the way. So good ride. We're lucky to have Joe as an advisor too. He is yeah. he gives insights for us in our organization. So um, Mike and Joe and Anna are going to be presenting today, and then we're going to hand it over to two of my favorite people that I get to work with often, and that's Anna Ryder with Samarki. You want to go ahead and say a little bit about yourself, Anna? Hi, yep. I, I'm Anna. I work at Smartkey and the customer success uh, folks there, and I will be showing you our new data hub on XDM today. And Chan, Chan, the man. Hey, how's it going, y'all? My name is Chan Manchanda. Uh, I'm an account executive over at Olation. Uh, been here for about a year and a half now. Before that, was at a couple uh, BI shops. Um, really excited to show you Olation. And this is actually the first time we are unveiling our uh, new UI in a larger group setting like this. So I'm pretty excited to uh, have you guys check that out as well. Awesome. All right, Mike, I'm going to let you start showing. I'm going to, um, I wanted to let you guys know that we have participants from around the globe. And um, we're excited to have those. Do me a favor, go ahead and put in chat your city and where you're coming from. Okay, Mike, so um, I already went through this slide. Mm-hmm, hold on. I'm just getting myself adjusted here. Okay. Uh, hey, look at all those people. Hey, there you are. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
But I did want to say thanks to our sponsors today. We have Elation as um, with Chan and of course, Marky with Anna, but thank you so much for sponsoring this event and for doing all the hard work you did to invite people to it. And Mike, My I- pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much. Mike, I am getting some chat, so I'm gonna mm -hmm. let you decide and go over and help Alexis moderate some stuff. Okay, great. So um, just to kick things off, uh, um, for, for those of you that haven't been on our recent rounds of uh, workshops, uh, Great Data Minds looks at modernizing the analytics program across five different pillars. Um, the data management pillar, which is all things around data integration, data um, persistency, serving up data products for uh, analytic consumption, and all the underlying um, enabling capabilities like uh, compliance and governance and quality uh, um, and integration and harmonization and cataloging and all that kind of stuff. Um, then data ops is, is uh, you know, a, a adaptation of the DevOps discipline that has been in software development for quite a few years now. And it's really all around automating those continuous um, integration and continuous uh, deployment uh, data pipeline um, and the containerization of builds so that we can deploy um, across environments with uh, a high degree of reliability and stability and the ability to um, decouple the deployment of solutions from releasing the solutions for active production. Uh, and the, all of the automation around those data engineering and uh, data pipeline builds. Self-service analytics is, uh, we believe, a very key element to get, getting to innovation through analytics at scale, where we put the appropriate tools that enable access to the data products that we're building in the hands of the information consumers and the knowledge workers that really know what they want to do with the data to optimize their function or to, to innovate their products and services that they sell to their customers, putting it in the hands of the business. And it's not just visualization, but it's also data curation. It's also self-service data science, which we're seeing uh, a continued uh, expansion of the self-service platforms across the analytics ecosystem. Then lean agile, lean agile product management is taking a product my uh, development product management mindset to our analytic program um, and using lean principles um, to continuously um, have a relentless uh, focus on continuous improvement and to generate uh, continuous value taking an economic point of view around our analytic program and build a portfolio of data products that enable analytic products that generate value to the business um, and do it in a continuous method. So it's, this is all around program execution um, and taking a very customer centric focus by using design thinking and taking a very end to end ecosystem focus using systems thinking. And then the final pillar, which is actually the foundation um, uh, across our, our five areas of uh, focus is the human part, uh, making sure that we are enabling um, our employees and our ecosystem and any of the humans, whether it's our suppliers or our customers and the employees, to make sure we're, we're enabling good collaboration, we're creating um, a sense of transparency, uh, we're promoting data literacy, we're constantly investing in the mastery of, of our employees through education. We're enabling and empowering our employees um, 
through um, um, giving them authority to make more decisioning, which is part of the lean agile mindset. And we're also making sure that we constantly communicate the purpose of our organization so everybody can get behind that purpose um, for the humans. And it's all about nurturing the humans through transformation because what we're seeing is in the analytics space, transformation is happening at a much more uh, dynamic um, uh, uh, pace and a much more frequent uh, pace. So these are the five pillars. And uh, today we're gonna to be kind of focusing around the data management area as we explore um, the purpose and the use of um, XDM platforms and data catalogs and what uh, it can do for our data governance and our master data management uh, uh, sub-programs within the analytics program. Right. So today's agenda, um, we're, we're going to put out an idea around modernizing our data governance and our MDM programs. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about taking a, a disruptive approach towards uh, implementing quality and governance and mastering. Um, and then we want to see these products. Very exciting to, to see both of our products uh, and talk a little bit about going beyond the platforms themselves and extending our programs. Um, and then just kind of wrapping things up and giving you a few uh, uh, key uh, takeaways to get started down the path of um, investigating, adopting, implementing, and operationalizing these platforms to, to generate even more value to your analytic program. And uh, we anticipate having um, ample time to take questions uh, and answer those. All right. So let's talk a little bit about the traditional versus modern uh, master data management, data governance. So <laughs> uh, data governance uh, had, a, had a go for about 16 years, or 18 years rather, if I do my math right, it's a new math. Uh, and they hold it, you know, categorically, the data governance programs have been a miserable failure. Um, and, um, and there's a need for it. Um, because there's a lot of money being lost through uh, improper quality. There's been some significant fines levied because we're not compliant with some key uh, privacy and, and uh, data management uh, um, uh, requirements across the globe. Um, and, and because we don't have the appropriate governance driving the appropriate security and security checks, and, you know, data breaches are still happening and costing a lot of money. We need to fix this program in this process, right? Let's talk a little bit about some of the trends we're seeing to reinforce our, our um, uh, position and, and recommendations as we go forward. <laughs> no, no, no. Oh. Um, so we ran out to the cloud and then we, we started pulling it by, back because we pushed a bunch of data up in the, into the cloud and started playing around and we're really enjoying the uh, um, the unbridled access to all sorts of data and whatnot, and uh, we didn't have any kind of governance in place. Yeah, Mike, um, it was funny because I told you about that time I was at lunch um, and Informatica said, you know what, it, we're just doing really well because of boomerang theory, everyone ran to the cloud. And so we had to start pulling that, that data back. <laughs> I loved that little guy. I just want to sit much at the slide. Okay. Um, so, just a, another kind of trend, just the, the, the exp, exponential growth in data 
data uh, under management and enabling analytics programs, this by uh, Perkins. Um, and you can see you know, from 2005, 2010, a pretty significant jump when you look at the percentage of increase. And then from um, 2010 to 2015, in, in si sheer size, another pretty significant growth at 9%. But then the estimate is between, for the next, you know, between 2015 and uh, 2020, um, was we're doubling in the, the rate of increase you know, from 9% to 16% increase. And you can see the steep slope that we're looking at. And in 2020, in the next five years, we're expecting to over uh, dub, double in that, that rate of increase again. Um, and there's a lot of data being put under management. Um, and there's several things triggering that we'll talk about. One is insights for everyone, right? Um, enabling that self-service program we talked about uh, uh, before in the opening, we want to get the information in the hands of the information consumers and we want to enable them to innovate and hypothesis test and, and mash up additional data. And that's creating a lot of that, that dynamic growth right? because we're not only processing the data within our four walls, but we're starting to get after external contextual data. Like another thing that impacts this is the fact that new technologies like uh, ThoughtSpot and others that are coming out that are, and that Google like, you know, just ask, even verbally ask, but mm -hmm. it even goes down to how their subscriptions work, which are, you know, unlimited users. Yeah. So, yeah. And, you know, a lot of people starting to adopt those types of tools, mainly because they're, you know, AI generated like Alation is, or AI is a foundational product, but mm -hmm. analytics for all is truly where things are going now and being able to just skip the dashboard, give us an answer. Yeah, it was interesting. We were uh, discussing that very thing with a, a board of directors in the healthcare industry yesterday and we were, we were explaining to them, this is about enabling the care provider, the professional care provider with the ability to get insights. You don't have to be a data professional. You need to be a professional in your business. Another trend that's going on is, um, Artificial intelligence or machine learning, your predictive analytics, advanced analytics, whatever nomenclature you want to use, are growing. And they have, um, it's the new table stakes, and it's going to generate a lot of value, as you can see by the Gartner, um, or I'm sorry, McKinsey report uh, from the AI frontier. We're going to generate between three and a half to almost six trillion dollars in, in value in business across. 19 industries that they um, analyzed, which really accounts for 40% of the overall analytic value contribution. Right? And the interesting thing about that is when you start to get into advanced analytics, um, the real power of, of those machine learning models is to continually uh, innovate and ideate on external data that I can mash up with my existing internal business operations data to find those those truly um, significant features that help us more more accurately predict the outcome that we're trying to achieve. So a lot of pressure on a lot more data um, and those machine learning models um, go through a lot more work to, to create uh, the data that they need. Then of course, there's this uh, renewed uh, attention to governance uh, and master data management. And, and why is that? Right? Well, uh, 
some some real key you know market rhythm that happened was the um, rollout of GDPR in Europe, and then closely right behind that, California's flavor of GDPR. And you can see there's a lot of similarities between the two. And th these are um, regulatory requirements that have recourse if you don't comply. And that recourse is in the form of economic impact, significant fees if you can't demonstrate you're complying with, with the requirements of these, these uh, privacy acts. Hey, Mike, this is a, we're going to be sending the slides out. Mm -hmm. This is a cool little cheat sheet for you guys. So um, we, we put a link to this Veronis site where you can find this diagram. And mm -hmm. each one of those things listed is clickable. So you can, you know, it's a good cheat sheet for you to have on your desktop. Yep. Very cool. All right. And then from a data literacy perspective, you know, we really need to get real good at understanding our data. Um, and as I'm trying to implement a program around increasing data literacy, and this going, goes back to the human part, right? Um, I wanna make sure I've got a good planning process that, and then a communication collaboration process that gets the, the workforce involved with um, where is their literacy today? Where's the literacy that they would like to get to as a part of an assessment so that we can implement a learning culture um, and get prescriptive in the kind of learning that we wanna do. And this is all in context of improved data literacy. And then measure, is our literacy improving or not? Can we tell good stories or not? And if not, let's revision and re replan. It's kind of the plan, do, check, uh, and act uh, cycle that uh, is part of the lean uh, principles and disciplines. Really want to get your folks uh, collaborating with data and even arguing, I heard the other day with data. Oh, so yeah. The yeah. journey, but it's, you know, it just is so amazing to see these teams that are data literate that we work with. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, to that point, um, um, the International Institute for Analytics, which is a uh, founded by Tom Davenport. They do annual uh, CAO summits, Chief Analytic Officer summits, and they hand out the Annie Award um, to three organizations that, that presented the most compelling uh, advanced analytics uh, use case. And two years in a row that I went to the CAO summit, all three of the winners had one thing in common that the, they said was very critical to their success. And that was they hired a data journalist that could tell a very compelling and meaningful business story with, with the advanced analytic insights that were being generated. Yeah, um, we follow Ben Jones. We, there's a bunch of folks out there doing data literacy, but we follow Ben Jones. So I just put his site, dataliteracy.com, pretty easy to remember. It's out there. Um, want an introduction to Ben, more than happy to do it. He's a great guy. He was at Tableau for years advocating data literacy. Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, felt like it was falling a little bit on deaf ears out there. So he went and he started his own organization. That's really powerful. Yep. Yeah. So remember when big data came along and we were talking about the V's, right? And there were the three V's. And then I think it went up to 12 V's at one point. Um, it was kind of, you know, felt like a hype because um, the V dialogue kind of went away. But the reality is, our, the size of our data and the kind of levels of detail and the different kinds of query languages that we're using and the dispersity of the data. And as we saw earlier, that dynamic growth and these very different and complex structures, all of that is still very true. And we're trying to wrestle all that down so we can rationalize it down and feed advanced 
uh, uh, machine learning based models. And of course, you know, our analytic, you know, visualization insight generations, right? Um, and we gotta, we gotta turn this stuff into digestible, quantifiable, um, meaningful information. And you need to have a lot of governance around that. So it is complex. I mentioned a little bit uh, about the, the machine learning table stakes. It's the new table stakes. If, you, if companies that are not focusing on building up a, a discipline around data scientists uh, to help them differentiate are gonna be left behind. And one of the things that is very important when you're doing advanced analytics is you have to take the existing data that you've worked so hard to integrate and transform and persist in your data warehouse. Those, those data scientists take that information out of the data warehouse and they pretty much dismantle it down into features, which are um, you know, little bits of, of data that is changed from qualitative to quantitative um, kind of um, um, signals so that they can feed their um, uh, machine learning models. And the concept of feature store is, is gaining traction. The, the point being, uh, if, it, if I can save the output from the, all that feature engineering and make it available um, um, for other data scientists as a reusable store and in the catalog annotate why, what data is in that feature store and where it could be used for which kinds of business problems or which kinds of machine learning models is gonna be a very important new construct within our analytics ecosystem. And then all the work to triage that data into training data sets versus um, testing data sets uh, is, is also very important because in some highly regulated areas, you have to recreate sometimes the analysis that you did to prove your insights, right? So uh, again, more focus around more data being created against existing data, which means more uh, governance and uh, oversight that's gonna be uh, necessary. And of course, understanding the customer um, for things like reducing churn so that I can um, optimize uh, the cost of acquisition of customers and, and, and be assured of a level revenue stream is very important. But also understanding the customer because I have to comply with things like GDPR and CCPA. I need to know everything about my customer and where the, is that across all my disparate systems because those customers could come along and say, I want you to show me everything you know about me or I want you to forget me and you have to do it in a orderly and timely fashion. And of course, if you don't do that, not only are you gonna get fined, but there are um, a lot of companies who um, trust in their brand is their differentiation, um, um, especially. Mike, I think you're freezing up a little bit. you know, member-based organizations. Um, uh, am I still frozen, Julie? Uh, you were for a second. Okay. But I think you're back. Oh, I just got a message. My internet connection is unstable. <laughs> Your internet connection? Well, it goes right along with the presenter, a little unstable. <laughs> anyway, um, not only do 
you might want to be mindful of the economic impact by incurring fines, but there's a lot of uh, organizations who differentiate on a, 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 a undeniable trust in their brand. And if you um, end up with one of these legacy events where your data was breached or you couldn't prove to your customer that you knew everything about them or complied with their opt-outs, uh, that can erode your brand. And that's important. Um, to their organization as well, and can be qualified, quantified rather. So Mike, um, on that note, I've got a, a couple of stats from a CISO friend of mine. Yeah. Um, so um, according to um, the guide for the CCPA violations, fines and penalties, typically, um, if you have 5,000 consumers who are violated, that usually counts almost um, up to 30,000 separate violations with the CCPA. That could be between 300,000 and $1.5 million in fines. Yeah. Um, just for that. For GDPR, um, there's been 410 fines since they enacted it, and that had a, that's equated to 177 million euros. Hmm. Um, the largest was uh, 50. Um, well, which you showed for Google earlier in France, and the smallest was 48 euros um, from a police officer in Estonia. So, <laughs> um, but the other part of that is um, the, the thought is that aside from the fines and financial loss, um, they're saying that a data breach, the average breach in the U.S. costs $7.9 million. And that is inclusive of reputational damage. Um, that includes like low confidence, negative press, um, loss of clients, um, and then operational disruptions. Um, you know, sometimes it can take months um, before you recapture data. Um, so at the end of the day, um, there's a, a local university here in Colorado who actually had a data breach in July, and they didn't get their systems up and running to full capacity until December. Wow. So when you have that, you have the inability of students to get to what they need. You have the inability for the staff to support. For the, so it, it's just like this domino effect. So I think aside from the legal ramifications, I think the cost is much more broader than just um, the fines. And it's just something to keep in mind. Right, right. Um, so we got to come up with a way to get governance integrated back in and, and overcome the last uh, 18 years of failure. Yeah, it's critical to know where your data is. So let's talk about the disruptive approach. Right? We wanna get away from these monolithic governance programs these, and these monolithic master data management programs and data quality programs. Right? Um, we wanna move um, away from these governance programs of your, uh, and I've, I've been even just recently on, on engagements where the governance implementation that was being laid out um, took about nine months to define what governance is um, and create all these organizational constructs. Uh, like, so we defined the executive council and, and then we tried to find executives that would sit on the executive council who don't have any time. So they said, well, fine, well, you'll, you can add me to that council, but who's gonna do the work? So, well, we'll create the approval council um, and your, your senior VPs and your directors uh, will sit on that and they'll approve 
recommendations and say, okay, um, but who's going to do the work? Well, we're going to have the working council uh, and they'll be consisting of data owners and data stewards. So, okay, great. So who are the people that we're going to put in all these roles? Well, I'm not sure because you're already overstrapped um, because everybody's got a full-time job and they're wrestling with poor quality data to begin with. Uh, but we got to get them assigned. We're going to give them uh, responsibilities to document policies and guidelines and processes. And then we're going to get these data stewards stood up so that they get in and they look, they look at all these data elements and define uh, rules uh, for quality and rules for governance, right? Um, it doesn't work. Nine months later, I've got all these plans and these, these hierarchical organizational pictures and I have names assigned to it, but no work is being done. We got to break that cycle. Right? Um, because we're spending a lot of money and we're waiting a long time and we're not, get, not getting any results. So what does the organization do? They go to path of least resistance and um, move on and try to get some work done. And our, our data is still at uh, risk and I'm incurring technical debt as a result of that. You know, Mike, and we see a lot of that sunk cost fallacy, you know, where people have invested so much in old traditional ways. Mm -hmm. it, you know, it's just the reach, it's hard for them to come back and I don't want to say restart, but they know they've got, you know, they're working in a way that could be more agile, but they're not willing to, you know, step back and say, okay, we're going to bring in additional uh, uh, software, other software and change our processes and stuff. So we yep. see it. Too. Yep. And, and this is, this is a real life example, isn't it, Julie, that I'm showing here? Yeah, this is one of our clients. We um, went in and did some estimates for them for their um, program. Mike uh, put together a checklist on how to, what they need to do to look for the right um, type of technology. And we made recommendations on modern type processes for them. And they went out and they got from traditional guys, no names mentioned here, their average uh, was 1.5 million and implementation was 18 months. Um, Actually, to the right where it says modern is Samarki. And um, this was a very large organization. So Samarki isn't always this, um, with this number, but um, they were able to implement in 18 weeks. So big uh, conglomerate, but um, it's amazing. The money that mm -hmm. can be in the time. Yep. Real life. Right. Mm -hmm. So just a little bit about Agile, Lean Agile, right? The whole goal here is everything is continuous. I got these continuous wheels constantly churning. I'm continuously innovating. So I'm looking for what's the next great thing we can do to differentiate ourselves through analytics. Let's prove that out, let's hypothesis test. And, and once we land on something, let's get it prioritized at, for building out and, and operationalizing. So I, I'm constantly feeding work and I'm constantly feeding value associated to that work done into the continuous integration circle cycle right and continuous integration is constantly pushing out delivery pipe um, the data pipelines and data products and analytic products um, into the continuous deployment cycle and then as we're implementing it more advanced analytics once we deploy those machine learning based models there's a continuous training and monitoring of efficacy, looking for drift so that we can constantly um, enhance those models all the way to the point where we'll, as we get a good handle on those drift patterns, we can start letting those models um, uh, use machine learning to 
educate and, and enhance themselves. So. Fair to say though, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but is it fair to say that, you know, to put this into practice, you really have to invest in your organization of Lean Agile. We, um, you know, we do a workshop and we do a poll and most people come back and say they're fragile, fragmented Agile. Mm -hmm. um, so the investment in Lean Agile is definitely a must here, right? Exactly, exactly, right. And, and what we're pushing is an adaptation of Lean Agile for the analytic program. We got to get away from looking at things as projects and get into building these minimum viable product um, implementations continuously generating value in the shortest amount of time possible. Yep. Yep. We, we, the principles we work off are, are scaled agile, you know, but I think if we can make any recommendation is invest in getting your teams, you know, on the lean agile train. Mm -hmm. So I want to define a concept of critical data elements. Um, I mentioned earlier that I've been on several governance projects and master data management projects for, for that matter and data quality projects um, that just, they're these behemoth programs that just don't get traction. I was in Honeywell for almost two years um, um, driving out um, analytic demand um, as an, uh, I was an employee of Honeywell. And uh, my, one of my peers was brought in to um, start to drive the master data management program. And I really, Mike, you're freezing a little bit. I really loved the approach she took. She came in and said, we're going to, um, apologize for that. Okay. Let me know when I'm back. You are, you're back. back. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so the critical data element approach um, was what she wanted to do instead of trying to boil the ocean. And she tied it to the strategic objectives of the organization at that time, which was to improve working capital. So she went and focused on what critical data elements do I need to put under governance to improve accounts receivable performance, accounts payable performance, and inventory uh, management performance. And she just started picking those critical data elements and put them under governance and started achieving improvements that, that met the working capital goals. Right? And that's the recommendation we're making is take a critical data element approach you don't have to put everything under governance. You got to put the critical stuff under governance and you continually do it, rolling out minimum viable product, right? So with governance and master data management and data quality, we got to think about it as characteristics. All three of these, these are additional characteristics that define a data product that we're rolling out um, as part of an MVP to enable analytics. We want to make sure we're continue. If I'm going to build an analytic, it's aligned to a strategic objective. And as part of achieving that strategic objective, um, I'm going to identify those critical data elements that are important for that analytic and put it under, under governance. Um, same with master data management data elements or quality data elements. And then we have to make sure we engage all of the business operations because you really need to understand the business processes when we're, we're talking about governance and mastering and data quality. Um, and then very important as part of the take an economic uh, view on building product, uh, 
quantify the value of, of governance or mastering or equality, right? And then align these requirements as additional characteristics that define the analytic product and the data product um, and add them as features um, via epics. And if you have to en enable um, master data management or data quality or data governance with platforms, add those enablers as architectural runway components that I have to have these new platforms put in place so I can deliver on those features. Right? Um, and then make sure there's implementation details uh, that all flow into the data catalog and then execute in cross-functional agile teams that include governance um, responsibilities and people that are also responsible for defining quality and master data management roles and uh, rules right, as part of rolling out that data product. Right. Any so, Mike? Yeah. Um, you see the little thing up in the top right, you guys? That's a key resource. So um, this is like actually comes from our modernization workshop. We're going to be sending the slides, but um, you know you can use this as a checklist. So mm -hmm. whenever you, uh, one of our programs or events and you see key resource, you know, use this as kind of a checklist. Right. So what we're getting away from is having programs, self-contained programs that are trying to boil the ocean, and we're moving it into. Um, characteristics for, for as part of having a holistic definition of the requirements for a data product. I'm going to pause for a second, Joe and Anna, pile on anytime you would like to. Yeah. I don't know that they, I don't know that they heard you, Mike. I heard you. <laughs> How, so the, the other concept that we have to keep in mind as we're trying to get to analytics for all and we're trying to get to continuous innovation, that requires the ability for the business to play around with the data to see if they can come up with a cool new differentiating capability, right? So in, in order to enable that, I need, I need varying levels of governance implementation governance without a gavel all the way to with a sledgehammer as we move from ideation into operationalization of a data product to enable an analytic product. Hey, Mike, can you go back to the last slide, uh, the key resource? Um, Chad is asking if you could go through the fifth bullet and kind of uh, validate that. Uh, align as characteristics? Yeah, they said having trouble parsing the fifth bullet. Okay. So the character, what I'm talking about there is as we're driving out the definition of an analytic product and a data product um, as part of our analytic portfolio, um, the governance characteristics and mastering characteristics and quality characteristics um, had to be part of the definition of those, of those products that we're building. So it's not just the data product itself that has a, um, you know, value and uh, use and whatnot. And it's not just the analytic product that has calculations and whatnot, but we have to understand what kind of governance do I need to put around this, right? What kind of quality do I need to implement around these data elements? And do I need to master this information? And if I do, you know, what are all my publish and subscribe rules and uh, uh, requirements? Um. Did that help? Yep, we have another question. Um, hey, Juan, put, if you have more questions, throw them over in chat. So if you guys have questions, throw them in chat. I didn't see this, Juan. 
Um, which strategies of design thinking you use to explore the problem? Um, which strategies? I'm, I'm sorry, could you say it again? Okay, which strategies of design thinking do you use to explore the problem? And I think maybe we could talk about... Um, okay, so... Um, yeah, I'm not sure if I have a design thinking slide, but so design thinking first, the, the, the first key step is we got to understand the problem and the need, right? So we go through divergent exploration of what is the problem? What is your need? What is your problem? You know, we, we collaborate with multiple people that make up the voice of the customer. And then once we have a, a, a good understanding of uh, of all the dynamics around the problem or the need, then we go into convergence, which is bringing it back together to have a holistic definition of the customer need um, or the problem, right? And typically when I'm needing to put governance or MDM or um, um, quality in place, it's because I got a problem with data, right? And then as we're doing that design thinking, then we go into solution, um, um, so we got the definition of the problem. Now I want, now I want to do divergent solution ideas. So I'm, I'm ideating on different kinds of solutions and I'm testing it and vetting it real quickly to get to the point where, okay, we think we have a, a good solution design that will meet the um, requirements of the need. Right? That's design thinking. And then you can go further beyond that and drive out fundamental details around the analytic product and the data product using behavioral storytelling. Okay. Um, I'm gonna take two more questions and then I'm gonna keep moving just because of time and we'll come back to them. Maybe Mike could even uh, hit them while Ian and Anna are doing their thing. But this is from Nora. And um, what is meant by captured governance implementation details in the data catalog? Does that mean the metadata capturing? Yep, yep, right. So okay. as as we're identifying those characteristics, whether it's governance characteristics or the MDM rules or the data quality rules, that all should be captured in the catalog okay. so that people can look and see that. Okay, and then our buddy Jennifer. Hey, Jennifer, um, how do you approach getting an organization to document and understand their business processes when it's basically chaos? Well, um, the simple way is you get them in a, in a room and this day it's going to be virtual and you have them describe their process and you draw pictures until they say, yeah, that's our business process. You build business process flow diagrams and you link those process boxes, if you will, with the information flows between those processes. And then as, as I define the process, I want to define the, the components that control the inputs, the components that transform those inputs to produce the outputs, define the process that post the outputs to find the process that governs and controls how I transform the input to the output in simple form. <laughs> okay. We have, um, if anyone on this call wants to dig deeper, we have a, a small workshop around this as part of a bigger two hour workshop, but certainly we can do a little bit deeper dive and even go into agiles. So I don't hesitate to ask mm -hmm. us any of that, so. Cool. Thanks for those questions, guys. Yep. I felt like stumped to jump there for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. So game changing technology. We're going to get into um, um, the fun part of this, uh, this uh, workshop today. Um, 
Alation and, and Smarky are two of our very valued uh, technology partners. Um, uh, Julie uh, and I and all the great data mines advisors recognize that the technology, the enabling technology landscape is on fire. It's changing all the time and it's getting cooler and cooler and more uh, game changing. Um, so we have to constantly assess the market and, and look for the, the best of breed and given the criterion that we believe is important based on the collective input that we get from our customers. Right? And Alation and Smarky are two of our very valued partners. Yeah, and one of our core tenants is, of course, using cloud services. But um, in addition to that is finding technologies that have AI embedded. So that's mm -hmm. really key these days and save or, saves organizations so much time and money. We'll see some of that from Chan. Yep, yep. Um, and uh, boy, I tell you what, as an as a old practice, practitioner, as a data architect, I sure wish I would have had some of these tools. <laughs> I made a lot of mistakes not knowing. Um, what, what I was about to deal with that these augmented data catalogs can unveil for me. Right. So data catalogs are important. Uh, they're on the forefront, very cool technology, right? Um, and yeah, I like this source from Gartner because it lays out some of the key function points that you want to look for in an augmented data catalog uh, uh, tool. Uh, on the uh, machine learning side, it's using algorithms to assess the content of the data, look at the, the, the metadata structure of, the, of that same data, um, assess the, 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 the actual appearance of how data is linked together versus the, the constraints defined on the database and deliver results of all that discovery. So you might think it looks like this, but from our discovery, um, and the profiling results, we're, we're making some recommendations around, these things are very similar, um, um, even though they don't look similar uh, and start to cluster information together. I could start to tag things, start to make recommendations around this column, although it says phone number, sure looks like it's got uh, social security numbers in it, right? You might wanna put that under PIA, right? Um, and then on, on the enablement side, enabling the business to own the catalog content, um, um, good collaboration vehicles so I can crowdsource the curation of business definitions in the glossary, associating data together, classifying the data based on how it's being used, um, allow people to make annotations. Oh, I used it for this and it was really cool. Uh, allow me to apply, apply contents, give me sentiment feedback, how useful is this information to you? Um, so these are the kinds of things that we're looking for when we're, we're talking about augmented data catalogs. Hey, Brandon, I see your question out there. I think I'm going to let Chan go through um, what his um, presentation and then let's come back to it. Okay, we're not ignoring you. Yep, good. Thank you. So augmented, collaborative, extensible. Can I add additional kinds of um, um, characteristics into my catalog that don't come out of the box? And is, is it built for the business steward, right? This can't be a technical implementation. It has to be a business implementation. Mike, fair to say too that the UI is critical, right? Uh-huh, yep, yeah. And to me, that's a very important element of, of you know, enabling the business steward. You know, it's gotta be easy to use, right?
So, in from San Francisco, come in. <laughs> Hello, how's it going? Thank you guys. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Mike and Julie. Uh, You're very really welcome. excited to be here. Yeah, and, um, and, and it's interesting. We're going to go off camera. Sorry, go on. Will, so they can focus on your cute mug. Uh, sure. So that's quite I, nice of you. I stopped sharing. You got it. I'm going off camera. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, just a quick tech check. Can you all see my screen here? Yes, sir. Fantastic. Um, and it's interesting because a lot of what Julie and uh, Mike were talking about really resonated us with me as a as as elation as a company, right? So when you talk about some of the challenges that you face when standing up a governance program, there's obviously this dichotomy between the business folk and then the governance folk, and there's friction that arises. Why does this happen? Uh, a lot of this happens because if you look at one unit, right, they're, they're looking to basically enforce policy and make sure that the data is being used in a compliant fashion. And the other side is trying to use the data as much as possible so they can actually provide analysis, answer questions. Uh, what, what Alation does, and Brandon, this, this might answer, begin to answer your question, um, because when you think about a data catalog fundamentally, right, it's just a repository of metadata. But what Alation does that's a little different than other people is we use a platform approach. So not only do you get um, a, a, a catalog, but you also get a um, solution that can facilitate use cases like data, data migration, governance, privacy, and analytics productivity. Um, and the way I'm going to really preface this conversation here, so uh, I'm, I'm a new analyst jumping into, or, or just any data knowledge worker jumping into an organization for the first time, right? Some of these challenges that, that I'll be talking about are going to be further exemplified here with the distributed environment that we kind of work in right now. How do you onboard this person? How do you make them feel comfortable with your data landscape as Avocet, this insurance business? to make sure that they can start using the data within your organization at a fast pace. Well, um, let's, let's jump into the product here a little bit. Uh, this is the landing page. So we are a browser-based solution and everything that you see today comes packaged in one solution, um, which is a little different than other solutions in the market, right? A lot of the other solutions, they're high of modulized solutions where you'll have to have a data catalog that's standalone with, uh, that you have to additionally purchase a governance suite. We like to package everything together. Um, so, so you don't have to buy several solutions. Uh, what's really nice about Alation, you can see that it's very human-centric, navigable design. Um, right off the bat, you can see I can navigate to different data domains. Uh, I'll be able to jump into different things that I am visited previously. And this is uh, pretty atypical with uh, Web 2.0 solutions, right? So you got something like history, you can bookmark things. And then finally, watching. Um, Watching is the most interesting one here because essentially what it does when you're watching something, you'll be able to uh, actually track the metadata changes as your own personal metadata change log. And what I mean by that is let's say I'm watching the summary top diagnosis related group table. Uh, two columns end up dropping. What Alation will do is notify via either your inbox or your email that, hey, something has changed with this table. Go ahead and check it out before you use for analysis. 
once again, kind of speaking a little bit to the uh, distributed environment, right? This is going to be a great place for your corporation, organization, nonprofit, whatever it may be, um, to basically curate some information that's going to be key for this persona to actually understand as they're traversing your data landscape. Um, in this case, you can see I have a business glossary that I can go into, and I'll jump into each one of these individually, but just wanted to show you a little high-level overview. This is also customizable. All these are tiles, right? So if you wanted the quick links to be something like data sources, uh, tables, um, just uh, an easier way to navigate through the environment, you can do that as well. Uh, in addition, you could see that it's, it's, uh, you can also white label it so the look and feel will be familiar to the organization. Um, Left-hand side, you can see what we can catalog here. So uh, traditional RDBMSs, absolutely. The newer MPP solutions like the Snowflakes, the Teradatas of the world, 100% file systems, um, all the way down to different BI solutions, right? So the Power BIs, the Tableaus, the MicroStrategies, Clicks of the world, we'll be able to catalog those as well. So what we basically do upon um, implementation, we connect to your data sources and we go through this process called metadata extraction. Uh, we're going to crawl through your entire landscape, whether that's a repositories, BI solutions, or source systems. But where we really differentiate ourselves and you know, our quote-unquote proverbial secret sauce is this process called query log processing. What it's doing is it's basically generating um, and, and gleaning the query logs that are produced by your SQL writers as well as the dashboards within your organization to create this idea of a behavioral analysis of how usage is happening within your organization of certain data artifacts. Additionally, we use linguistic intelligence to um, power our NLP search, right? So when you look at solutions like uh, the Googles, the Amazons of the world, they inventorize a huge list of whether it's products, links, whatever it may be, and make this search relevant for the person who's making that search at the time, right? Um, so let's, let's go back to this idea of me being a new analyst, my boss, sorry, do we have a question? Yep, just a little background noise, I think. So. Oh, no worries. Um, and my boss gives me my first assignment, right? He or she says, hey, Chan, build me a DRG report broken down by region, broken down by total revenue. Well, I don't know what DRG is, right? Traditionally, what I would do is I would uh, tap somebody on the shoulder and figure out what table do I use to basically create this analysis. I'm a talented analyst. I know how to do this. I just don't know the data landscape. With Alation, what you can do is you can jump in, and as soon as you start typing DRG, like in Amazon, right, we have a recommendation engine where we'll start generating a list of data artifacts within your organization based on frequency of usage and relevancy. Let's dive a little deeper into this DRG table. I'm an analyst. I'm going to filter down my tables. And now I have a list of data artifacts that I can start thinking about using for my analysis. It's this initial process of discovery. A couple things that you're going to notice here. Um, one, you'll see something that's called a trust check. A trust check is just basically a quick metric of trust that will allow the person to understand that they're using the correct table. Additionally, speaking to linguistic intelligence, what Olation is doing, now typically, you know, no offense to any of the data art architects in the, in, the, in the room here, but sometimes the table names, source names, column names aren't really robust enough for uh, new people to jump into the organization and really understand what they are. Some underscore top underscore DRG is a great example, right? Uh, 
what Alation is going to do is it's going to start generating titles for these tables columns automatically. Um, and then it uses assisted machine learning with the iterative feedback loop in between machine and human to basically create a confidence score of uh, different table names and names within your um, data landscape, which can all be searchable later on. Jumping into the catalog page here for the first time. Uh, right away, what you can see is a pretty easy drill down from source, schema, table. Additionally, once again, you have that auto-generated title. And then you have this concept of a trust check, right? So you can see that this has been endorsed nine times. There's a warning. Let's see what this is. This table has been tagged with PII. Please complete and pass the PII compliance test before accessing. These are all bi-directional links either to the tag definition or the actual compliance. Additionally, you'll see a list of people who have endorsed this. Great, these people have endorsed this. How do I know they're the right people to endorse this? Well, I could see that Steve Berger is one of the people who actually endorsed this, and he's a steward of this artifact, so I can feel comfortable using this actual artifact. Now, a couple things Alation is going to do automatically here, right? So I talked about the titling. Uh, additionally, what we're going to do automatically, and this is, uh, this is a key piece of usage for Alation, is, is we're going to generate a list of top users. And once again, the way we do this is through that query log ingestion. Why is this important? Uh, so from a end user perspective, I'm a new analyst. I don't know who to really go to about the specific artifact. What I can do easily is jump up here and I can hit this question mark and I could start collaborating with these top users that Alation generated automatically and ask if this has PII. Can I use this table to break down DRG codes? And what ends up happening in Alation is like a living FAQ, all questions related to this data artifact actually stay on this right-hand side. So if I wanted to facilitate myself and see if that question's been answered already, I have a place to do that. Now, the next thing I'm probably going to want to do here, right, and, and I'll, I'll actually take the, uh, for a quick second, I'll actually go to the different approach as well, right? Now, we're, we're talking about the business user mostly. On the other hand, let's talk about the governance approach here, right? Um, typically, it's an onerous process to sit through and determine who the subject matter experts of specific sources, artifacts, domains, whatever it may be, are, right? It takes hours and hours of meetings. Because Alation is able to automatically generate these top users, you now have a qualified list of people that you can potentially elevate as stewards of this specific artifact. Going back to the analyst approach here, now what I want to do is really understand what's in this table and how it's used, right? So you've gone through the process of discovery, validation, now let's go through understanding. A breakdown of columns the ordinal position of the column on the left-hand side, the source name of the actual column, and each one of this is a bi-directional link as well that I can jump into. And then finally, you have this auto-titling that we do again for this column, right? So this is something that I'll be able to actually search within the catalog. A data type, and then finally, finally this metric of popularity, which is powerful for the context, right? To be able to jump in as an analyst and understand how this table, what attributes are being used over and over again. But from a governance or cleanup or migration perspective, um, what I just did was I went from the table back to the schema level. This is a great place for me to understand what artifacts are actually being used within the schema, within the source. 
Now, typically, you're going to see a long tail of tables that are, you know, the one-use one, uh, tables either generated as views or generated to create dashboards. Uh, what Alation is going to tell you based off of that query log ingestion is, and creating this popularity metric is, hey, if you're going through a migration or a cleanup process or making sure you're identifying critical data elements, make sure that these are the elements that you focus your critical resources on to make sure they're accurate, to make sure that they're curated properly. Jumping back into the table here, but one other thing that I, I want to talk about here is typically when people move out of an organization, churn is it's something that happens inevitably. Um, we want to make sure that tribal knowledge and the contributions they've made are actually staying within the catalog. So if I actually go over to this profile, right, what this would say is gone in this case, uh, but all of the queries that I've written, all of the things that I'm an expert of, the steward of previously will remain in the catalog so you don't lose this information. Moving over to samples here, uh, you know, maybe I want to understand what's in this table. What you'll see is based off of the database credentials that are provided in the catalog from this user, what we're going to do is we're going to obfuscate sensitive columns here, as well as show you a basic breakdown of what's in the table. Getting into the more of the behavioral context of the usage, right? If I jump into filters, now I can actually see how people are using this, how people are filtering this table to generate analysis. Additionally, if I jump into use values, you can see there's a deprecation. If I look at this deprecation, it says this filter does not include Vermont. It does not match the Northeast definition. If I was to use that filter, I would be warned that I'm using a deprecated filter. Now, traditionally, this analyst would have to sit in front of an ERD and figure out primary foreign key relationships. Alation is going to generate the most frequent foreign key primary key relationships and what tables they're joined to automatically. Lineage. If I was to deprecate this table, I want to understand what the downstream impact is of me deprecating this table. You'll see that we're going from all the way from the source back here, and this is the table that we're looking at. We have column level lineage that breaks down how the columns interact with these different sources. Additionally, what you'll see here from source to target is this little data flow object. What the data flow object is, it's a documentation of uh, the DML, so basically the data manipulation language or the transformation that takes place from source to target. And this is a, once again automatically generated through Alation. If I was to deprecate this table, everything here would show up as red, as well as anything used uh, downstream from this table within Alation would also be, uh, also generate a notification. Moving over to the queries, it's no surprise that a lot of times people end up. Um, it's not. It's not a. It's not a. It's not a surprise that uh, people end up actually spending a ton of time within their organization requ recreating queries that have all already been written. Right. What's nice here is that you'll be able to uh, publish a, a a book of queries that are being used quite often in your organization. And then once again, the endorsements, the usage metrics follow throughout. Now we've actually gone through the process of discovery, validation, understanding. Let's actually go, let's see how you'd be able to use, um, let's see how you'll be able to use this actual information that you have, right? So what Alation has, and it's actually one of a, a key features of adoption, right? One of the things uh, one of the members asked here is, how do we get people to start documenting and actually putting in information catalog? Well, 
you have to give them something to actually use the catalog for, something that makes their life easier. So what I'm going to do here is I'm going to put in my database credentials. And all of this rich history and this crowdsourced information that uh, end up actually excuse me, that, that end up actually uh, being generated in the catalog, we want to make sure this information is curated to this person, like turn-by-turn -turn directions, as they're using the data, right? So I'm going to start writing my query here. And you'll see as soon as I start typing in an attribute, it automatically is going to ch generate the most popular attributes based on my da database credentials, right? So I start hitting, so I'll use DRG. Additionally, what you'll see is down here, that there is a deprecation of DRG or DRG code. And once again, like turn-by-turn -turn directions, as I'm writing this query, I can actually understand um, what I'm using and how to actually use it. Uh, for now, we're going to ignore this just because uh, for, the, for the sake of this um, demonstration. But let's go ahead and maybe do a quick calculated field here. Um, we'll do total discharges multiplied by average total payments. We'll set the alias here as total rev. Now, once again, as soon, we're able to use natural language and given names within Alation to actually write SQL, right? So you could see the sum top DRG, the, the actual endorsements, as well as the, you know, once again, this is obfuscated in the view based on my database credentials. Now what we'll do is um, we'll do a join here. And what I'll do is as soon as I start, as soon as I start jumping in here, what ends up happening is I can start typing out the tables and it'll generate the join automatically for me. Um, let's do a group by really quickly. Do DRG code. And then we can go ahead and run this table. What's good is not only can you execute this table directly from Olation, but let's say if this is a heavier query, right, that you um, should schedule for a later date, right, uh, or a later time, you can, actually, you can actually go ahead and schedule the query for a later time. Additionally, what you'd be able to do if I'm a younger junior analyst, I would be able to share this in real time with a senior analyst, maybe it's Julie, um, and say, hey, can you help me write this query? And you'll just pass the proverbial buck to her, and in real time, you'll actually be able to jump in and help this person. Additionally, you'd be able to export this to um, different BI solutions, as well as you'd be able to download this as a CSV. Jumping back here, what I do want to show you really quickly before my time runs out is some of the key glossary aspects, right? So in this case, I have a corporate KPI section, I have a policy center, and I have a business glossary. Maybe I'm trying to understand what the definition is of something like uh, corporate revenue, right? So a glossary is going to be a collection of articles. A article is a fundamentally a, a container of textual information. This is where you'll write your, um, this is where you will write your, uh, excuse me, this is where you'll be able to write your glossary definitions, your KPI glossaries. This is where you'll actually be able to standardize some of the information that's been spread throughout your organization, sometimes like chaos, right? So I could start typing in corporate revenue, jump into the actual definition here, 
And then you'll see that in this case, there is a workflow that has been kicked off because it needs reviews because somebody tried to actually change this. The people who are stewards or editors of this information will be notified within their relation inbox. Once this has actually been uh, reviewed, you'll see a check mark here. Now, what you'll also see is just a basic, infra, a basic uh, definition of what corporate revenue is. You'll be able to see things like um, a profile of it. You'll be able to see things like uh, different tables that are being used with corporate revenue. Um, as well as you'll see bi-directional links to other things like BI reports. And this is a good example of what somebody that's, that's left the organization would kind of look like here. And I know we covered a lot here in a very short period of time, um, but what I'd want to do is, I think I'm at the end of my time here, right, Julie, or do I have a little more time? I'll give you about five more minutes. Yeah, and I got a question okay. for you too, Shane. Um, but go ahead. I'll, I'll cover it at the end. If you got a little more content. You want no, 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 please. Let's, uh, let's, let's talk about the questions. Let's go back to Brandon's question. Um, he, he's asking about data world and I've not been exposed to uh, data world. Um, um, he, uh, Brandon's first further, um, offering up that data, ca data catalogs need to think about the ability to connect with data fabric architectures. Um, is um, what's my capability for creating new connectors? Creating new connectors. So first uh -huh. of all, we come, uh, we come out of the box with 60 connectors, right? Additionally, we have a, um, additionally, we have a pretty extensible API, not only for uh, individual components of Alation, but you'll also be able to spin up your REST connector. Uh, we do work with GCP and BigQuery, David. Um, that's a good question. Uh, and then finally, you'd also be able to use custom JDBC drivers to connect to different things. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Randall, we'll, we'll see if that scratched the surface for you or not. Thank you, Jen. And um, Mike Amal had a question too. I don't know if you see it out there. Let me see. Amal, it feels like both this and a tool like ThoughtSpot need a lot of the same metadata attributes on the tables or columns. Can one feed the other or would we have to maintain it both separately? So what you'd be able to do is you'd be able to connect it to your different solutions and we would be able to pull the metadata from the uh, metadata store or whatever it is. So like if you look at uh, a different BI solution, right? So I'll jump into Tableau for instance. Um, what you'd be able to see is different things like, uh, let's jump into demo here. You'd be able to see a breakdown of the different workbooks that, that are actually connected to Alation. Um, in this case, we, Pfizer's actually doing a COVID-19 a COVID uh, catalog with us. And let me actually pop into this one really quickly. And I will show it to you from a sales metric. Nope, that's not it either. Once again, you'll have to excuse me. This is a new UI for us, like I mentioned, so I'm still getting used to it myself. Um, nope, that's not it either. Let us see here. Yep, this would be a good one here. So you'd be able to see the breakdown of popularity um, of this actual 
uh, of this actual uh, dashboard here. What's also nice is let me let me actually use our old instance so I can actually show it to you a little bit better here. Um, I like to show the, the white labeled instance just so you can kind of see how we can uh, customize the look and feel. But if I was to jump into this, what I can do here is pop into this guy right here. You'll see a popularity of the breakdowns of the actual workbooks. And then you'd also, we have a really tight integration with Tableau. That's why you're able to see something like hospital revenue analysis. Um, mm -hmm. What's also great is you'd be able to see the breakdown of the fields here, right? So I can actually see the calculations, measures, and dimensions of the actual um, usage within the individual worksheets. And then finally, a breakdown of lineage of the dashboard, right? So on the left hand of the side, you've got your source tables, your Tableau data sources. In this case, you could see there is a deprecation within provider payments. I can scroll down here. I could see why this has been deprecated. Um, and then, okay, so this is out of date data in this case. Um, but I can also see exactly what, what this uh, ends up being downstream as, as a total dashboard here. Yep. Let's then, take this last one. I think I saw when you did your drop down of the BIs, um, was Looker in that list? Yes. Okay. Um, so if we wanted to pursue connecting to ThoughtSpot, we would partner with, um, with you, with Alation, to figure out how to read the ThoughtSpot schema? That's correct, yes. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Cool. Hey, Jan, I am uh, putting you on restriction now. I think you've had time, and I thought that was awesome. Amazes me that you can Wonderful. stuff so fast and uh, appreciate it so much. Um, keep the questions coming, um, we can answer them and even come back to them, but Jan will be available to see them now. Um, Mike, we're going to turn it back over to you. All right. Let me figure out how to get back so that you can turn it over to me. <laughs> Thank you, Chan. All right. So a few implementation considerations. Uh, again, analyze your various use cases drive what you're going to uh, put into your data catalog. Again, take that Lean Agile MVP product mindset. We were getting a lot of good um, observations and, and, and uh, um, suggestions in the chat um, channel. And it was around, you know, make sure you document your processes and workflows and whatnot. Absolutely, totally agree. And then capture those stewardship rule results in your catalog, right? But continually do it or you're not boiling the ocean is the, our implementation recommendations. Um, another thing is as you're bringing in new data sources, it should be a policy that new data sources, even if I'm only going to use them in the sand, sandbox, must go through the catalog, right? Because I want to be exposed and understand what's coming in to the organization um, and then align to your governance framework and your quality framework so that you're bringing in those attributes and characteristics and metadata um, information. It could be in your cat, in your glossary or other data, different kind of metadata attributes. XDM is the new improved MDM. And really what we mean by this is the first and second generation MDM products had um, to a, to a great degree, they were focused on specific domain, domains. So we had customer data integration, uh, MDM products, you know, CDIs. We had product information management 
uh, MDMs like PIMS, um, even down to maybe specific for facility and address, right? In the XDM world, we're, we're abstracting up and we're saying, I want to put persons and things and places um, under XDM management. And then I configure and instantiate persons. Maybe it's for customer or maybe it's for supplier. Uh, or maybe it's employee, right? Uh, or I'm going to instantiate things like maybe it's my product catalog, maybe it's um, uh, organizational unit, right? In places, maybe it's facilities, maybe it's you know shipping address um, where I want to put the addresses under delivery point verification. Right? And the goal here is we're, um, an important element is what we see is it's not just mastering uh, data. Uh, like those, you know, those primary domains that are really critical for business operations to be as accurate as possible, and for my analysis dimensions to have conformity. Um, but reference data is incredibly important as well. The business community maintains a lot of lookup tables and crosswalk tables and um, cross-reference tables that drive very important elements of their day-to-day -day business operations within their group. We need to put some of that under um, reference data management as well and, and standardize it using the same kinds of disciplines so that the combination of those two can help drive better transaction processing and integration and categorization classification of uh, observations across the different transaction uh, elements, right? As well as, as I'm bringing on all sorts of big data and I, I want to stream in, um, you know, social media and whatnot, and I want to classify it by my kinds of reference tags, et cetera, right? So I want to be able to not only master data, I want to maintain and put some governance and control around reference data and conformity, and I want to have the ability to integrate it cleanly and nicely with my business operations data as well as the external contextual data that I'm bringing into the enterprise. So we have a tale of two attempts. My, <laughs> my colleague, Anna, would you, Anna? This, this is part of my life. Um, so we had a project and um, it was an estimated oil and ocean exercise. We had over 280 elements, and we did the thing Is anyone else struggling with understanding Anna? Yeah, it sounds like R2D2. Yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe you could do a head headset or something like that, and we can come back to you while you try it. Okay, great. We'll come back to you after Miss Anna, her uh, our other Anna does her presentation. All right, let's bring it down. Come on, Anna. Hi, the other Anna. <laughs> the other Anna. All right, let me uh, show my screen. Okay, do you see a, a deck? Yes. Yes, Perfect. Okay, we'll keep the slide more very short. So I'm Anna. I'm going to be presenting XDM today. It's uh, Simarki's Intelligent Data Hub. So we'll talk about what does that mean. All right. So like Mike was talking about, 
you know, we think of MDM as being the old school way of dealing with managing your data because it used to be a very traditional model where things were siloed and fixed. But realistically, every organization is dealing with parties, right? That's the people, uh, the accounts, the organizations, the individuals, right? Perhaps it's even citizens, constituents, members. And those people are linked to different areas that are, you know, location-based, right? Like Mike was mentioning. And they often interact with things and it could be products or uh, assets like equities and securities and uh, bank accounts and checking accounts. And so that's what data, the Data Hub is really made to do. It goes multiple steps beyond the traditional master data. And it really looks at the holistic picture of what are all of the pieces of data we need to manage to really provide the business with the knowledge it needs to be able to deliver good business decisions, to increase customer loyalty, to deliver a better customer experience, to track supply chains, to manage costs and th things like that, right? So, you know, Linking back to what Mike was saying about the value of AI, we see a lot of our customers wanting to adopt machine learning and um, AI and predictive analytics, but without having a solid core data that's trustworthy and governed, it's not possible to do that well because you can't tell if you should trust that predictive analytics if you know that your data is a mess. So we're going to talk in this demo about you know, what are the kind of functionalities that the data hub can help you with so that you can get a handle on your data. And just to give you, you know, a quick look, like we have a lot of customers across multiple different industries. Uh, you'll hear about AIS history when Joe presents later in this uh, webinar. And we'll also hear about some other success stories. But, you know, just to give you an idea, you know, we work from industries all the way from pharma to um, financial services to retail to uh, clothing and apparel and so on. Okay. So um, really, one thing I want to focus on was that story that Mike was talking about. Uh, the real value we see in having a data hub is being able to manage your data. But if you can't get that off the ground for years, that's really not going to be possible for you to get value. And so we really prize ourselves on being able to implement quickly and have that agile approach, okay? So let's dive in now to that demo. And I'm going to show you what a typical business user and data steward might do on a day-to-day -day basis in the data hub to give you an idea of you know, how it is that the, the data hub can help you manage all of the, the, the data sets we talked about, right? From parties to locations to things, okay? So we're gonna jump into this uh, intelligent data hub. And before I do that, uh, let me point out quickly, uh, I am on the cloud here. Uh, in particular, I am using AWS. And so we are cloud agnostic. You can run us on Azure, AWS. We're also on-prem uh, if you still prefer to do things on premises. So very agnostic in terms of what infrastructure you wanna use. So let's dive into this intelligent data hub. All right, so first thing you should notice is the user interface. We prize ourselves on having a 21st century user interface. It's based on Google's material design. So Google did a lot of research on what they believe was the best user experience for the web and published all of that research, made it open source, and we went all in. 
And so if it looks and feels like a Google app or even a Google search, the way that you've got the big logo, lots of white space. Um, if you have an Android smartphone, you might even notice that the menu collapses a lot like an Android smartphone application will. That's why it's because we are using that forward thinking, business friendly user interface. So let's do a, a Google style search here. I'm gonna search for an organization called Chevron. So let's take this as a kind of B2B account example. Uh, when I search for that term, I can see all of the data that I have that pertains to this term Chevron. So we have different, uh, you know, one company and different contacts and they're probably related to Chevron because the, these contacts work at that organization. Okay, so if I click on here, we can start to see this golden view about Chevron. So what do I mean by a golden view? A golden view is that view of record, of record of an account in this case that's been consolidated across multiple systems. And so this is the trustworthy version of that data that's already been cleansed, standardized, and the best attributes from all the different sources have been selected and presented here. Okay, so what we know about this organization is we've got some basic information like the name, um, the revenue, uh, the contacts that work there. What I want you to keep in mind is everything that I'm showing you is configurable in the data model. So we don't come with a pre-built data model, which is how we're able to be agile. So you don't have to spend a lot of time breaking apart an existing fixed uh, customer or product model that doesn't conform to your business. We encourage you to configure and build whatever is the best model that fits your requirements, okay? So everything you see, if it doesn't make quite the same sense for you, just keep a note that it can be uh, uh, tweaked a little bit to make it work for your environment, okay? So what we can see here is we've got some extra information about this particular account, like the sector, um, some you know EIN numbers. Uh, we can also embed 30-party chart third-party charts here. So in this case, uh, we've got um, this you know, dynamic uh, third-party uh, chart about the, the Chevron ticker. Of course, for you, it could be anything, in, including um, images. Like if you have a product catalog, you could have a number of different images of your products. You could even have um, different location information. So let's take a look at what that might look like from the location tab here. Okay, so we're now talking about, you know, a lot of businesses deal with having a lot of address data, especially if you're in the retail industry and you've got a lot of different stores all over the country all, or all over the world. In this case, we're able to also manage this address information. We provide it uh, with the input that we get from the source system, and then we enrich this information using third-party data. So in this case, uh, we're using Melissa, Melissa data. We can also connect with Google Maps. They have uh, an API where you can purchase data to enrich your address information. And you can see here, we are even able to embed this you know, dynamic map here where we can you know, see the actual location of this uh, of this uh, geographic uh, information. So this can be really helpful when I'm dealing with construction clients who want to see a work site because they don't always have fixed addresses yet, um, especially if they're dealing with a new construction or a project like, uh, you know, green energy where you've got a uh, 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 solar panel like wind, and wind farms uh, or even 
uh, oil and gas where you don't have a traditional address. And so having an embedded map is really helpful to see that kind of information. So you'll notice, you know, we've got this input address, which is pretty clean, but we're still able to supplement it with extra data like uh, full latitude and longitude here and um, other attributes that are uh, uh, spelled out. So this helps really uh, when you're starting to see this perspective from the uh, master data level. So let's take a look at what this looks like from the different source systems. Okay, so this golden view that I built out, this is really coming from, in, in this case, uh, five different source records. So three of them are from CRM. So we've got a deduplication story here, meaning salespeople in, in the Salesforce instance, for example, or in whatever CRM you're using, they've accidentally created multiple records that are duplicates and they all point to the same account. So we're able to deduplicate and collapse those down. But we also have a consolidation story where across different source systems, we're able to bring the data together so we can have what we like to call a 360 degree view of this account. And so in that case, we've got source systems like the finance system and maybe you know the support system that has provided some of this information about Chevron. And so we're able to then take all of these perspectives and consolidate them together. So what you're seeing highlighted in blue here are the surviving values. And what that means is if we've got five different source records and we're trying to match and merge them so we can deduplicate them and consolidate them down to one golden record, we are going to have some logic to choose what is the value we want in that golden record, right? Because if you've got five different company names, how do we know which one should be the winner? And we can define that using what we call survivorship rules. And those survivorship rules are showing you what is highlighted in blue is the winning process that, or the winning value that won to create this golden record. And so it's a good way for you to understand, you know, these are the kinds of challenges that our customers are dealing with, where, for example, you might have Chevron Corporation and Chevron showing up. As a human, I can tell that's the same, but a computer doesn't really compare them as apples to apples because it sees that corporation and thinks it might be a different organization. So a lot of the processes that we want to do as part of building out that golden record before matching and merging can happen is we actually need to standardize some of this information. And so what we've done here is we've taken that Chevron corporation, we've lopped off any of these business types. And so that could include corporation or LLC or incorporated or LLP for those financial services uh, companies. And then we've uppercased everything so that we really are comparing apples to apples now in that matching process to identify these identical records, okay, or identify these records that are the same, but they don't share a universal key. All right, so you can see, you know, more of that information, you know, as we're scrolling uh, to see what values won and, and so on and so forth. Okay, so now a huge component of tracking this master data, of course, is being able to see what the golden look like and how it changes over time. So let's take a look at what that history record means. And this is a huge problem for a lot of organizations that we're dealing with who are in highly regulated industries and have to have an audit trail. It's also important even if you don't have that uh, regulatory compliance requirement because it's just really useful for you to able to go back and see what that data looked like at a certain point in time. 
And uh, so what you're seeing here highlighted in yellow are those values that are currently showing in the golden record. And what is not highlighted, like these other revenue numbers, these are the old values that were the values at a certain point in time and are no longer the case, right? So if we take a look here at these values, we can see that there have been changes over time, right? The revenue numbers have changed over time. Uh, some of these checkboxes have changed. And we're able to not only document those changes, but we can see who made the change and when. So we can see at this point, you know, Matt, uh, Mark, David at some point had made those changes and when. And so if you have a problem, you can always contact them and say, hey, you know, what's going on? Like, what did you change this record and so on? We can also go back to this uh, browse as of date. I like to call it the time machine feature because what I can do is actually click on here and say, yeah, let me show me the data as it looks at a fixed point in time. And again, that's really helpful when you're dealing with closing out the books at a certain quarter or you need to go back and look at a specific point in time what that data looked like. And so you can actually, you know, click on here and say, hey, yeah, let me show, uh, let me see the data, you know, June 3rd, uh, let's say, uh, you know, at, uh, te you know, uh, 12 p.m. or something like that and then actually click there and then it'll show you what that record looked like and you can see that that revenue number has changed. Okay, so uh, this kind of gives you a quick look at what a business user might be dealing with on a regular basis. Uh, not only can you see some of these important pieces like the master data of how we got to this golden record and the history, uh, we can also browse the relationships that are in this data, right? So this is the graph view, which gives us a different look compared to the table view that we previously had of these relationships, which are sometimes harder to express in a rows and column format. So what we're seeing here is, you know, here's Chevron, here are all the contacts that work for Chevron that we you know, are, are in regular communication with. But we can also see that Chevron rolls up to this uh, sales hierarchy of the Western US. And I can actually see here, you know, uh, let's take a look at all of the other companies that are part of the same hierarchy, right? And so I can expand here and we can start seeing all these companies like uh, BNSF Insurance, ExxonMobil, Berkshire Hathaway, Apple. These are all of the other organizations that we have put in the sales hierarchy with Chevron. Okay, so this graph view is a really flexible way for you to see relationships that might be harder for you to explore in that traditional table format. Okay, so let's take a look at a critical component of managing some of those matches and merges that I had mentioned earlier. Okay, so what I'm saying is, you know, you will create rules that do matching and merging and deduplicate and consolidate your data, but it's the data steward's job to keep an eye on those rules and make sure that the you know, XDM is doing the right thing. And there's always going to be exception cases that we wanna handle on a manual basis. And so we're gonna take a look and see what are the kinds of capabilities that a human has to help with maintaining some of this data in an ongoing basis. Okay, so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna enter this review suggestions view and we'll take a look at what that means, okay? So let's check these records out and let's review suggestions. And again, this is something that a data steward would typically be doing. So what we're seeing here is we've got three layers and let me explain to you what we're dealing with. So 
let's take a look at this bottom layer first. This bottom layer with all of these colorful tiles, they're telling us the source system provided this record. And we know that it's the source system because we can see the ID from the source system. In this case, FIN stands for finance. And in this case, CRM stands for you know, the, the CRM. Uh, and then support could stand for you know, a support system. And you can substitute any system for that. It could be the ERP, could be marketing automation. And we're seeing here that uh, ID from the source system and some information. So what's happened here is that these records have matched and merged with each other to create these two golden records, right? And so these two golden records give us a view of the status quo, meaning that we would be able to consume these golden records downstream. What's different about this review suggestions is that up top here we have this tile. This is the suggestion. It's kind of the what if scenario that XDM thinks we should adopt. It's saying that based on your matching rules, I've identified that there's a relationship between these source system records. And right now you've got these two golden, but we, I, th I think that they should actually be this one suggestion, this one ultimate golden record. So we can see the relationship here if we take a look at this uh, matches and transitive matches uh, uh, toggle here. So I can actually now turn this on and see what is the relationship between these source system records, right? And so these lines are telling us that there's some matching happening here. If I click on this line here, I can actually see what the match rule is. Here I've got uh, a match rule uh, scored at 88. Um, I've got here some documentation about this match rule, and then I've got the actual definition of the match rule. And um, what you can notice immediately is that there are a lot of different match rules here that have triggered, um, like this one is matching based on the same website, uh, whereas this one previously was matching because uh, these two source records have the same phonetic name. Uh, we've got here these uh, uh, different match rules, again, based on website, um, and here it's matching based on fuzzy name and address. Okay, so the, the tool is saying, I've identified these matches here, but the confidence score is a little bit low. We're only dealing with a confidence score of 58. And I'm not super sure that I wanna go ahead and merge them together. So will a data steward please take the time to review this? Okay, so as a data steward, what I can do is I can just quickly look at this information here and just browse this and make a judgment call, or I could actually click on the suggestion and get more information. For example, we can look at here and see, okay, these are all of the records from the source system. Again, we know that because we've got the identifier from the source system and the ID. And then we can actually see here what are all of the different values and make a judgment call. So we can see we've got two organizations. One's called BNSF, stands for Burlington Northern Santa Fe, and the other one is SFP Pipelines. So you would think at first they're not the same organization, but when you dig in further, you can see that um, SFP Pipelines here is located at this uh, address in Fort Worth. And then you can see this other organization is located in a building right next to it, also in Fort Worth. And ultimately they've got the same website here, bnsf.com, okay? Upon further inf investigation, we discover, you know, they're both companies held by Berkshire Hathaway. And so, yeah, at some point, probably one of them acquired the other. And so they are the same organization, even if they have different names. So in this case, as a data steward, what I could do is I can go ahead and just accept the suggestion and say, yes, I want to follow the, the tool's advice and 
take that suggestion and go with it as my new golden record. Of course, I could also reject the suggestion and end up with two separate go uh, golden records, which are what we have currently in the status quo. Okay, so that kind of gives you an idea of the manual actions that a data steward can do to review and either uh, accept, reject, or even override some of the values that uh, the, the tool will provide. Okay, and you can even modify. So if, for example, we decide we do want to go with that golden, uh, that would go with the suggestions, so now it's the golden record, we can also have this user interface where we can actually say, yeah, um, I, I would prefer to, I want to accept the suggestion, but I would prefer the company name be Burlington Northern Santa Fe instead of SFP pipelines. And so we can take that, click apply, and then it will have um, updated once we uh, hit submit. Okay. So that kind of gives you mm -hmm. evil moderator. How are you doing on time? Uh, based on my timer, it looks like I'm at 17 minutes. So I got three more yeah, minutes. Have a question. Okay, cool. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Do, you, do you have a question? I, there is one question, Anna. Um, go for it. Uh, it came from Rama. Um, she's asking if you could go over the algorithms that are baked in for the matching records. Is there a way to see the underlying? Yeah, absolutely. Yep, so uh, as part of our application builder, we have a number of different algorithms ready to use out of the box. And those are a lot of the well-known string algorithms, string comparison algorithms. So we're talking like Levenstein, Ngrams, Dice Coefficient, uh, and then we've got a couple that Samarki's rolled together that's based off of some of these. So for example, we have something called the sum edit distance and then even the sum edit distance similarity. And so it, you know, without getting too much into the weeds, it is doing that comparison, taking into account the length of the string. So for example, if I have one or two different characters, you know, if the string is really long, maybe we could just consider that to be a typo, in which case it's weighted less. But if the string is only, uh, you know, four characters long, then one or two differences is actually going to be a huge fundamental difference, right? It could be the difference between my name, Anna, and like the name Adam, for example. And so in that case, we're going to say that that might not be a match. So there's that level of complexity. Um, if you are interested, you know, you're welcome to shoot me an email and we can talk more about all the different algorithms that we have out of the box. We also work with a lot of partners and uh, those system integrators will roll their own custom algorithms as well. And some of those could be based on, you know, whatever kind of complicated logic that you have matching things like relationships and like, is it a married couple? Is it not? And things like that. I hope that Great. answers the question. And if it doesn't, feel free to send a follow up. Great. Thank you. Okay. Great. All right. So I know I only have uh, one minute left, so I'm going to just quickly jump over to products and show you this concept of that intelligent data hub, which is not only can we manage customer and party and location data in one place, we can also do product information. Uh, sorry, I think I said uh, we, we, what I meant was we can do parties and location. And in addition, I'm going to show you products, right? All in one place. So in this case, we have, you know, let's say a retail company that sells clothing items. And so we can see that we've got a completely different view. Uh, instead of that one column view now, we've got a two column view where we've got this big central product catalog with a image of these products. We're able to see some brand information. Uh, we can even see charts here that we can embed that show you, you know, um, potential purchase history. We can also have this product trans 
translated into multiple languages, right? So talking about that kind of third-party integration of data, like I was showing you earlier with location, I can also have uh, the tool translate this product information in English into a different language, in this case, Spanish, right? in real time. And so we're connecting essentially to Google Translate and telling Google Translate to please give me, uh, you know, the product information translated into another language and there's the Spanish version. Okay. Uh, we can also have different items and all the different variants like the product uh, sizes and colors. And then linking back now to the parties I showed you earlier, we can see these products, what uh, companies sell them. And when I click on Zara, we'll actually have the parallel view to Chevron that we had earlier, except this is now for that clothing retailer, Zara, where we can see here, you know, here's the information about Zara, here's the location information, uh, it's headquartered in Spain, so on. And then, you know, here are some of the sellable products. So that's kind of how you can see all these domains interacting with each other. All right, my time's up. Uh, is there anything, are there any other questions for me or is there anything else you want to see? Uh, there's one, there's one question. Um, merge uh, records. Can I unmerge? Absolutely. Yes. Okay, so let me cool. show you what that looks like. If I have, let's say, um, going back to uh, Chevron again, what we can do is uh, take this uh, merge or split option here. Mm -hmm. And then okay. we can say, yeah, let's uh, take uh, this Chevron to get and make it a, a new golden. Drop it, let it go. Oops. Uh, let's try to split these. Or let me try to add in uh, another company here. We can say add in AT&T, finish, and then start to you know have a kind of Frankenstein uh, mm -hmm. scenario where I can take some of Chevron, split that in here, add it into AT&T like so and so on, right? Now we've got two chevrons. Um, if you decided you wanted to start playing around it and, and, and shifting these things around. Awesome. Yes, thank you very much for that question. Let me know if there's anything else. Thank you, Anna. Always, you always do the best demos, I swear. Mm -hmm. Thanks mm -hmm. so much. All right. So, uh, Anna. And right. the advice. Is that any hey. better? Yeah, it's perfect. All right. I... Sorry about that. Um, all right. So oh, um, I'm going to, I'm sorry, Anna. Um, I just want to yeah. make sure you were there. I'm, I'm going to let Joe cover his thing and we're going to get back to you before, before I wrap. Okay. Okay. No problem. Thank you. Joe. Drum roll for Joe. Hello again. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, so before I talk about kind of our experience, just uh, want to make sure I, I give a little context because data without context is not information. Uh -huh. uh, and so um, AAIS is a uh, not-for-profit insurance advisory company. What we do is we sit in the property casualty space and interface between um, carriers and regulators. Um, that's one function, but what the function I'll talk about today is um, our primary revenue source, which is producing product for the industry. And so um, our not-for-profitness also comes in the, in, in the, uh, in, in the expression of um, we pool data from hundreds of different carriers and then use that data. And that's, uh, you know, policy information and claims 
And then we use that data to produce products. Um, so these are like your homeowner's policy. Like if you were to look at the hundreds of pages that you get with your homeowner's policy, you probably see either uh, one of two names on there, either ISO or AIS. And so um, our two organizations are the largest um, in, in PNC um, for developing these products and companies from the smallest to the largest use them because for one, um, that's what the, the, the regulators kind of uh, oversee, but also it, it helps uh, keep everything kind of fair and balanced across the industry. So, you know, left-handed Lutherans Mutual out in Iowa has the same amount of experience behind their products that Travelers does um, in, in Hartford, Connecticut. Um, and so to be able to do this, you know, we've traditionally just pulled in that same, um, you know, legacy style uh, policy and claim information. Uh, when I joined the organization about eight years ago, started um, utilizing you know, newer technologies. We built the data lake, um, our actuary started going away from SAS and, and their old uh, processes and, and it, it worked, um, you know, and, and we could still turn the crank and produce product and produce revisions and do refilings every year. Um, but what we couldn't do was really mature those products and innovate on them without, you know, with the, with the small staff that we have without using some, uh, some technical leverage. And so um, we have a data catalog here. I might ask you to go to the next slide first, and then we'll go back to this one. Because this is kind of the story of our maturity curve was, all right, we have all this existing legacy product, but they're all buried in documents, like PDFs and Word documents and all this that companies would take. And, and they would have to you know, go through these very long integration cycles of developers reading these documents, unpacking all the requirements, getting all the loss costs and factors and calculation details out of those documents and getting it wrong over and over again. Um, so it's very hard for a company to adopt, you know, so if they're locked in or if they're, you know, currently using an ISO product, um, it's almost like vendor lock-in because of the expense of, of migrating to a new one. So we looked at it and said, well, we know this is all data at the end of the day. Um, and so how do we centralize that information, get them out of the documents? Maybe it does take, you know, quite a bit of effort, but we're doing it one time. We don't ask our carriers to do it every single time they do an adoption. And so we, uh, we looked around and that's where we found Samarki is because as Anna was describing, the, uh, the ability to flexibly create uh, reference data structures really worked for our use case. Um, and so we're able to create these, uh, th this platform, we call it PDP, our product delivery platform, that we've been over the past few years loading with all of our different products. And as we're developing new products, none of them go back into those documents before they go into our Samarki-based solution for our reference data management. So we have a nice you know, curated place where all this reference data lives today. And so when the Hartford comes knock on our door and says, you know, we'd like to leave ISO, we, we think your products are better for these reasons, whatever. What we can do now is say, okay, well, are you using Guidewire, using Duck Creek? We know what those systems are expecting as far as their integration data. And we already have that ETL built that can take it out of Samarki in the format that we, that we know and love, you know, in AIS is not necessarily what's going to work for those systems. So we have that ETL sitting kind of on the shelf, ready to go. We hit go, you know, there's always a lot of details and what exactly they're looking for and how they've configured their systems but we can much more rapidly deploy that data and those integrations to those systems for our customers, saving them in, in case, it, you know, most cases it's, it's millions of dollars and years of integration time. 
So that's all good. You know, we have context of our data. We actually have our products digitized. We have a way to deliver that. And then we'll go back to the next, to the previous slide. What we're now missing is the fact that our products are, we're not spending that time on that. Now we're spending time on innovating. And so it's typically when you got that homeowner's policy, one of the um, key levers that's going to change your rate is what's called public fire protection class. And so if you go through ISO's methodology, it's basically how many toys does your closest fire department have? It's imperfect science. It's not really predictive. You know, everybody knows it, but it's what the industry uses. AIS for the longest time said, well, uh, how close are you to a fire hydrant? And we've all heard stories of um, insurance agents going out there with a cardboard cutout fire hydrant, put it next to a house, taking a photo, and then, you know, you get the best rate you can, right? Um, and so none of those really work. And, and the industry is looking for something new. So we decided we're going to take a different approach. And we partnered with uh, the NFPA, uh, National Fire Pr Protection Association, and a few other people, uh, mostly data providers, um, that could give us, you know, real incident data. What's been going on? You know, it's, it's not just the claims, because the claims only tell you part of the story. It's a retrospective look. It says, you know, okay, how much damage was cost, caused? But you don't really know what went into it what mitigation factors were in play, um, you know, how the performance of the fire department actually impacted the size of that claim and all the other components that go into the exposure. And so we started gathering all this data um, and, you know, none of it's really perfect. We're looking at a countrywide program. And so these companies that are, you know, doing satellite imagery analysis to get certain like information about the roof and all that, they have a really good picture of what's going on in Chicago, but maybe they have this big blind spot in Nebraska. And so we have to understand, you know, where all this data is of good quality, where it's, where it's sparse, you know, all those other things. And again, small staff, we really don't have the ability to, you know, uh, colloquially share this information and this knowledge at the speed that we need to produce that product. And so that's where the catalog conversation came in is, okay, instead of just the, traditional policy and claim information, how do we start curating information around, you know, the metadata around all these new data sources that we're getting, you know, we're, we're just taking everything we can get because we're building this new model and doing a lot of new analytics that is, you know, to actuary is a little bit scary because at the end of the day, we've got to go back to the regulators and say, here's how we prove our work, right? And so that's where the data catalog came in. And the last slide um, that we have here is basically, Going back to similar to, I think it was the Smarky slide around governing the reference data, we really don't have data governance until we put all three of these things together. Um, we can't just let our data stand on an island. We can't just have reference data that doesn't, you know, get us to the new innovations. And then the catalog really glues everything together for us. And so we start to really curate that information. We, we um, are building products, but our products are more defensible. We have credibility and we have things that are really easy to talk to the, to the regulators about because I'll tell you three years ago, I had to explain um, during our last NEIC audit, I had to explain to the auditors what a data lake was. <laughs> and that is two months of my life I really want back. <laughs> and those are my prepared remarks, Mike. Thank you very much. Um, I'm I'm familiar f familiar with the product that you guys built and a phenomenal story. Um, uh, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. All right. Client Joe with um with both of our preferred tools. So. Yep. Cool. Mm -hmm. All right, Anna.
All right, let's make this quick. <laughs> All right, so these are what you don't do um, when you're trying to do your master data management. Um, our project, um, we, we exercised as a project was to deliver um, the Big Bang master data for over 200 plus fields. Uh, we failed um, miserably. It took a long time and the results were dodgy at best. Um, business users were not happy. We lost tons of confidence in the data. Mm. Um, and it, we were like 18 months into this when we started really recognizing it was a, not going to succeed. We regrouped, kind of did it a second time, and we started more in an agile approach, focusing on critical data elements. And um, instead of a project, we kind of managed it more as, let's just do this as part of every release um, every two to three weeks. And um, it wasn't easy. We didn't get um, huge buy-in initially from the business, but as we started showing delivery, they were happy with that delivery. We got more people involved and the business ended up owning what you delivered, when you delivered and how you delivered. And um, it was a much easier approach. We were able to do it faster. It took us a little while to recover from reputational that we lost with the first go round, but it turned out to be a much better approach. So I think it's just one of those you know, don't do it like I did it in the approach one and really do it the second way. I think this also helped us in the chaos that somebody asked about earlier. This did kind of help us get some of that chaos in control because we weren't trying to do the big delivery at one time. We were doing small, specific delivery for each iteration. And um, I think that was just a better approach for us at the end of the day. That's awesome. Yeah, that was uh, similar to the experience we had at Honeywell once the, the, we turned the corner. Um, so a couple of keynotes, y'all getting down the road, just get 100% commitment from the entire enterprise that everyone owns governance and quality and mastering. It's, it's uh, not limited to certain parts of the organization. Here's a capture of published data ethics principles. Um, You'll get that as, a, as almost like a key resource. Just adopt these um, and, and then you know, act accordingly to them. And, and then Anna, help me with Will Robinson. Warning, yeah, so, warning Robinson, warning. Warning, <laughs> yeah. So all this is really trying to say is that governance and MDM is not just a, you implement it and you walk away. It's something that you do long-term. It's something that you keep focus on. And it is just what you do. It's just part of, it's table stakes at this point. Great, thank you. Um, so, you know, some questions to ask yourself as you're getting ready to see how ready you are to get down the road. Um, um, uh, getting better throughput and value generation from your governance programs and master data management programs and whatnot, and or, um, you have the right enabling platforms, right? Um, and as you leave, just remember that taking that kind of lean, agile, um, minimal viable product approach um, to just chip away creating value as quickly as possible over and over and over again. Right? And what do we got? No, we have one minute, one, left. One minute for a question. <laughs> <laughs>
And also, um, if you have questions, I put um, info at Great Data Minds in the chat. So feel free to um, send us any questions you may have, or if you want to dive deeper into the technologies that we presented today, I know that um, both Anna and Chan would welcome that opportunity. Uh, be sure to check uh, over in the events page on Great Data Minds. We have some good stuff coming up. We have a um, data ops, data therapy session coming up. So bring us your hardest issues that you're having and let us tell you how data apps might be able to solve it. Yep. We also have more attractive with data catalog with Bonnie O'Neill who wrote uh, sleuthing with data catalogs or something. I don't have it in front of me, but she's going to be hosting our um, more attractive with data catalog. So join us there and we will be announcing, I think two more events here in the next week or so. So we've yeah. got good stuff happening until the end of the year. We really, really, any comment, Brandon, uh, I have one more question. I'm going to offer up. I'm, I'll, I'll get the responses to the questions we couldn't get to and send okay. them out to everybody. Okay. Yeah, and, but if, if we can hang on, I don't know. Do you have a, a dead stop mic? No. Okay, because Brandon didn't have one question. Any content okay. of DNA strategy? Um, uh, Brandon, what does DNA stand for, please? Data and analytics. Um, yes, you'll you'll see it. Um, um, that strategy comes out really across all of five of our pillars. Brandon, um, would love to chat with you because there's the program execution strategy. There's strategy around implementing some of these hard um, programs that have been monolithic forever, which we shared uh, a great deal today. Uh, the self-service strategy, data ops automation, and machine learning ops automation strategy, et cetera. So. Absolutely, we will make sure we follow up and connect with you, sir. Thank you for that question. Thanks, and thanks everyone for joining us today. We'll be sending out the recording and the slides and yep. use them for reference, and mm -hmm. we'll have those in your box in 24 hours. Thanks all of you panelists, you were great. Yeah, thank you guys, and our sponsors. You guys rock, right? Thank Joe, you. Anna, Anna, Jan. Yep. Thank Anna, you, everyone. Thank you, take care, bye-bye everyone. Bye-bye everyone.